Good morning, everyone. I'd ask that you join us in the sanctuary as we begin our worship service today. going to go through the announcements um, before we carry on, if you want to look in your announcement section. Um, November 28th is a church meeting for fall elections, and um, when you think about that, think about uh, the other churches in this community, West End and Bagot, who are um, in their fall election season as well. And if you are able to make snack for Kids Connect, please contact Amy Taves. 
I don't see her here today. Um, if you all of a sudden um, really need to make that decision today, you can probably talk to Christy. Um, that would be good. Um, we are also in need of two children's church teachers and a Christian ed chairperson. Um, if you're not sure what that is, you can talk to Bethany and ask her what that means. And if you are interested in helping, please also talk to her. It's not a very com big commitment, actually. So um, if you sometimes wonder what's going on and you do not have the midweek email coming to your email, um, that's a great place to find those things out. Um, there's information about what's happening at the church and also prayer requests. And if you would like to be a part of that, you can talk to Pastor Russell and he will make sure that you get on that email list. Okay, uh, Russell has an announcement. <clears throat> and while he's getting connected, uh, Christine, if you want to come up to make your announcement next. All right, my announcement is still about something that is a fair chunk of time off, but you want to put it on your calendars, April 20th and 21st. If you remember, uh, then Wayne Unruh was going to have a good concert that was supposed to be here in the fall, but it didn't work out with scheduling. But now April 20th, he is going to be having a concert in Winkler and on the 21st right here in the EMC Church. And so... I'd encourage you to put that down. Uh, don't worry if you miss it right now. There will be more announcements closer to the time as well. But get excited for that. We've all been to his concerts, and we all know that he goes all out. It's a good time. So April 20th and 21st for uh, Wayne Honor's concert for One Hope Canada and then Valley View. I uh, just want to give a little update for Kids Connect. Um, we had our first two um, sessions, and there was 41 kids. So um, that's just wonderful, but also that brings a whole new set of challenges too, that we could use a few more people to help with, um, you don't have to plan anything, you don't have to, um, yeah, you don't have to be in charge of anything, all you need to do is go around with the kids and help with crowd control and be a friend. Because a lot of these kids, out of the 41, there's 19 of them that don't regularly go to a church anywhere. And so it's a great opportunity to really connect and show Jesus to these kids. And um, like I said, there's a lot of them. So we could use a couple more people with that. And also on that note too, um, Amy hasn't heard of very many people that wanna make snacks yet. And with 41 kids, we need a lot of food. So I encourage you, um, yeah, talk to Amy, talk to me. Um, we can always, you can always make a snack ahead of time and put it in the freezer. It can stay in the freezer for a while. Like, and the greatest thing is, is just, is cookies is just an easy thing to do to hand out to kids, but we do, we do need food. So thank you very much. And your prayer request, uh, I, and I neglected to have it put in the bulletin. My grandson, Michael Taves, as you know, he had, uh, um, shoulder surgery this week and just pray for his recovery. Thanks, Tina. Um, they'll remember that during the prayer time. Um, one thing I'm just remembering while this is all happening is there is a community choir that is happening Tuesdays at the church. Uh, they had one practice so far, and if you would like to be a part of it, it was super fun, like super fun on Tuesday. So that's at 8 o'clock. Um, if you want to be a part of it, you will need to be there this Tuesday. Um, 
you just have to want to sing, I think. Um, is there any other announcements? Okay, thanks. Psalm 16, I'll be reading from the NIV version. Keep me safe, my God, for you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people, you are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Dear God, thank you for today. And I just pray that you fill us with joy and uh, give us the strength to make it through the rest of this week and bless us throughout the week and heal us from anything that we are going through. Amen. Oh
our next song is a new song to the congregation, so feel free to keep standing. Um, it's called Rescuer. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 
Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A vast was proclaimed, sorry, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from the, his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet re relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. All right. Before we get into the sermon, there are people to pray for. So on top of adding on uh, praying for Mike and his shoulder surgery, uh, we also want to pray uh, for Daryl Daly. He had his angioplasty last uh, Friday, as we had prayed about, and there is warmth back in his leg, and so that is a wonderful thing, but at the same time, uh, his cardiologist appointment is coming up later in the month. We want to continue to pray for him as well, that they will be able to figure out something that is lasting that can get him to feel a bit better as well. So we want to keep Daryl in our prayers. And with that, let's go into a time of prayer before going into the, the sermon that we have today. Dear God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise of who you are. We come before you in praise for how you have worked through the medical system over the last little bit. We thank you so very much for Henry that he went in last Sunday and then was out and they figured they can get him as right as rain. But God, we pray for Henry. We pray for the hardness that he's going through with this news about Agnes and the cancer. And we pray for his family that is understandably taking this hard. And God, we just, our heart goes out to him. Our heart goes out to the family. And so we put them before you. God, we pray that you will be present. We pray that you will be the strength that he has drawn on countless times over the course of his life. God, we pray for the Buchert family. God, we also pray for Mike's shoulder surgery. That has been a pain with him for such a while. God, we pray that it is successful in every way, shape, and form. God, we pray that he no longer has to deal with that pain. We pray that it will not bother him anymore. We pray that the recovery will be swift. We pray that this part of his life can be put behind him and that he will not even remember it soon enough. He is on our minds, Lord. We put him before you. And God, we also want to pray for Daryl. Lord, we thank you that he got in for that angioplasty. God, we pray a thank you to you that there is that warmth in his leg. 
God, we pray now also that as he has his cardiologist appointment later in the month, that they will figure out what needs to be done to reduce that swelling in his feet that it causes him so much pain, to help him breathe better so that it no longer is tiring to do anything. God, we know that you are a God who can heal all. We put Daryl in your hands. We thank you for the friend that he has been. We thank you for him and Audrey, but God, we pray, be with them now. Help them to never be far from our minds. And God, we also want to pray for the other EMC churches. November is a busy month. Conference count, ministerial as well. And there's big things to talk about. And so we put that before you, guide those conversations, bring wisdom to them. But God, we think particularly of the other EMC churches in our region right now. After talking to the other pastors, just the different ways that life's hardships have been weighing them down. God, we pray that you will be a blessing on each of their families. God, we pray that you will be exactly what it is that they find themselves drawn to and needing in this time and that their relationship with you will be strengthened as a result. God, we pray be with our brothers in Christ now. Lord, all of these things we put before you this morning, but we say thank you for who you are. Thank you for how we have seen you work. And thank you for how we will see you work in the future as well. All of these things we put before you. Amen. All right. Children's Church, you are dismissed to the back. You know which way to go. Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. This book, this chapter, is kind of the crux of the whole book. And we're going to see why in just a little bit. You kind of need this chapter to make sense of what the book of Jonah is really trying to drive at. And what it has to tell us today, because what it has to tell us today, I suspect, is a particularly pertinent message. But the story so far, as we talked about over the last couple weeks through our time with Jonah, Jonah is a book that is written for people that have a bit of a big head on their shoulders, people that are God's chosen, people that are God's followers that figure that because they are God's followers, well, then obviously that means that the buck stops with them. Obviously, that means they are the most important of important people that can be. And it does this by taking Jonah, a prophet of God, and following through many misadventures. Right in the beginning of it, God tells him, I need you to go. Go to these people. Go to these Assyrians who are the worst of the worst enemies that my people know and tell them that they must repent or else doom is coming. Jonah does not do that. Jonah runs away. Jonah runs away and he runs down and he runs down and he runs down. He runs down to a boat. He runs down to the belly of a boat. And then to get away from God one more time, he gets tossed into the waters itself, figuring that death is a better thing to do than to actually do as God tells him to. And God 
is not having none of that because he sends a big old fish to come and swallow him up. In three days and three nights, he is in the belly of that fish. He has time to cool down because he's been acting pretty petulantly up until now. And when he cools down, boy, does he repent from the belly of who he is. He says that he had ran to the grave itself to get away from God, but now that he has time to think about it, he is thankful that the Lord has saved him. All he had to do was turn around, look at God, take his hand, and things worked out. And so he tells us the idols in our lives, those things that cause us to run away from God, what are they? For they are damnation for salvation comes from the Lord alone. And as a result of that, he gets thrown up from the fish onto the ground. That's where we are so far. And that brings us to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, if you have your Bibles on you. And it begins pretty much as if the book itself was restarting. In fact, it begins with pretty much the exact same words that the book of Jonah begins with. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The only difference is that when you read the beginning of chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The difference being that now you don't need to know that Jonah is the son of anybody. Now Jonah is introduced of his own right. There is character development in there. He's a bigger deal now because he has turned back to God. That's what's going through our minds as we read it. And God goes and he tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Proclaim to it. Before, we do not get this idea of proclaim. Proclaim is a big thing. Proclaim is the kind of thing that you tell people when they're going to do something important, something blah. But in the beginning, we don't get that. It's go to Nineveh and preach against them. But now it is proclaim in the same way that now Jonah is a big deal because now he is turned back to God in the same way. Now there's just this upbeat feeling about it. But boy, oh boy, that is not what Jonah wants to hear at all, as we see in just a little bit. But we see that he gets up and off he goes to Nineveh. In the same way that before when God told him to get up and go to Nineveh, instead he went away, now he actually goes. And when he gets there, we are told that it is a big city, that it is a great city, that it is three days across that size of a city. And this is from a period of time where you walked everywhere. So the chances are that you could probably walk a solid 30, 40 miles in a day. But this city is three miles across. That's ancient city, New York size. That's a way of saying that this is a big old city. And Jonah walks one day into this great city and he proclaims. And when you read this, if it sounds a tad anticlimactic, that's how it's supposed to sound. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. You can read it like he's saying it under his breath. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Jonah is not happy about what he needs to be doing. But God's message is proclaimed. He is not happy because these people are still his enemies. 
We're going to see that particularly clearly when we go into chapter 4 next week. These are not people that Jonah wants to have anything to do. He does not want to be here, but God is leading him there, and so there he goes. And thankfully, it doesn't particularly matter that he is not doing his college best because God works through that message all the same. This little message right here, this little proclamation, this little sermon, it is by far and away the single most effective sermon that exists in the entire Bible. It is how many words? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words, and it converts an entire nation. Because we're told the Ninevites then believed in God. They declared a fast right then and there. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, they, they put on sackcloth. They put on mourning clothes. We don't know terribly much about how Assyrians showed penitence in those days. We don't know terribly much about how the Assyrians repented for things. We do know an awful lot about how the Israelites did, and it looked exactly like this. The Assyrians are repenting with everything that they are. Interestingly, in the style that is prescribed specifically for God's people to do that, that is how penitent they are. They somehow just innately repent in the right way, in that way. We're going to come back to why that is in just a moment. But while they are busy repenting, then Jonah continues on, and he finally makes his way to the king And then when he is before the king, we read that the king himself takes off his royal robes, puts on sackcloth as well, and he lowers himself to the point where he sits down in the dust. And then he too has a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. We don't get a good idea of what he's all saying when we read that here in English, beast, herd, and flock, particularly that word flock. When you read that, it comes across like we're talking about sheep. That's not it. That's the word that we use for talking about like flocks of birds. He is saying even the beasts, even those that we eat, even the wild animals, all of them will repent for what we have done, for the wickedness that we have proclaimed in the past. Is that actually saying that all of the animals are going to be in repentance? Probably not. This is using a wonderful figure of speech, using a wonderful way of talking. That This is how broken up we are about this. This is how torn up we are about what we have done, that even the animals themselves will feel the regret of what they are doing. Even they will fast. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then we come to the verse that is the crux of the entire book. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah 3, verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then when God sees this, this true 
repentance from the pit of who these people are, that's what he does. He does not destroy them, for they have turned from their evil ways. He shows his compassion and does not bring destruction that he had threatened. Jonah chapter 3. We're going to pick up on that compassion a lot more when we get into Jonah chapter 4, which is just wonderful. But over the weeks so far, when we have talked about the book of Jonah, I have brought up a number of times a different book, and that is the book of Joel. Now, I encourage you all to read that book at some point. It's only three chapters long. Most of it is in poetry, uh, well, prophecy poetry, which means those three chapters don't have that many words in them at all. And there is a story that is told in the book of Joel that is going to sound mighty familiar to those of us that have just gone through Jonah to chapter 3. In the book of Joel, God's wrath comes to his people. And there it comes to his people in the form of a plague of locusts. They are called to repent. And when Joel calls them to repent, what do you know he calls them to repent in a very particular way? Put on your sackcloth and mourning. Go sit in the dust. Fast and do not drink, do not eat. Calls them to repent in exactly the same way that we see the Assyrians have so far. After the people repent, the book goes on, and we see that the enemies of the Lord line up against him, and the enemies of the Lord do war against our God. And that goes about as well as you would figure when you do war on an omnipotent being. God is victorious. His people are lifted up. They are placed on high. The end of the book. As I've mentioned before, the book of Joel was particularly popular during the time when the book of Jonah was written. When the book of Jonah was written, that was after a period called the exile. There, the kingdom of the Israelites, the kingdom of Judah, they both got taken over by other people, one of them being the Assyrians, the others being the Babylonian. They were carted off to the corners of the world. And then something that absolutely was impossible to believe happened. Those Babylonians were conquered by somebody else that was friendly to God's people, sent them home, gave them money to build up their city that was torn down, gave them money to build the temple that was there. And so for the people of that period of time, reading the book of Joel and seeing how Bad things happened, but the people repented. The people saw, they stayed close to God, and then as a direct result, even though the enemies of God did war against them, they were conquered and the people were lifted up again. For the people that were after the exile, that sounded an awful lot like what had just happened to them. And as a result, the people that got really into reading the book of Joel in that way, they... they got a bit of a big head on their shoulders. We are the chosen. We are the ones that are important above all things. We are the ones that God has lifted up. We are the ones that will be 
the main point of it all. In the book of Joel, in chapter 2, verses 14, Joel says a very interesting thing. He says this, Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. Most importantly, he says, who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. That sounds an awful lot like what the Assyrian king says in Jonah chapter 3, because it is verbatim what the Assyrian king says in Jonah chapter 3. Want to take a guess how many times that phrase shows up in the rest of the Bible? To the best of my knowledge, not at all. The Assyrian king in Jonah chapter 3 is prophesying and proclaiming as if he was the prophet Joel. The Assyrian people are repenting just as the Israelites were called to do. The Assyrians are people that are the worst of the worst of the worst enemies that come before God's people in the entirety of the Old Testament. They take over the kingdom of Israel and spread its people to the corners of the earth, never to be seen again. And here they are, repenting in the way of Joel, repenting in the way of the Israelites. Instead of the destruction that is promised for God's enemies, in this book, God's worst enemies become his chosen as well because they were reached out to, because Jonah came to them. Even in his really not doing his, again, college best to reach out to them, this entire nation of people that were the enemies of the enemies of the enemies, as bad as it can get, they become God's chosen as well because that is what God willed. To the people that read the book of Joel in that way, as saying that we are the most important, as saying that nothing else matters other than us, the saying that the enemies of God are going to perish in the end, and so we can hold our head up high knowing that we will be victorious. Jonah 3 says one thing. God will be victorious over his foes, there's no questioning on that. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to actually remain God's foes. Now, does it? Who's ever heard that phrase that it's possible to be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good? I like that phrase. That's a good one. Keep that in mind. There's a thing about reading the book of Joel like that, only looking at the end where God is victorious against all of the enemies that come against them. And that is, that if that is your focal point from which you understand all of the faith, that in the end, God will be victorious. That in the end, God's enemies will rise up. And in the end, we will be lifted up as well. 
If that is the framework that you understand all of Christianity by, it does something to how you see yourself. It gives you a big head on your shoulders, just like the people of Jonah's day. It does something with how you see people that are not Christians. You don't see them as not Christians. You see them as enemies. It does something for how you see the world, right? In the end of Revelation, there is a new heaven, there is a new earth. The old ones done away, the new ones resurrected and new. It causes you to see the world as unimportant. When the framework through which you understand our faith is just by what happens at the end of all things, it creates in us this feeling of us and them. This feeling that we are the important ones because at the end of all things we will be on high and they will be cast down. And when you look at the world like that, you end up looking at the world in exactly the wrong kind of way. Because you don't see the world that God loves so much that he came to die for. You don't see the world that is so wonderful that our Lord made it and said that it was good. All that you see is what will die in the end. When I came with this book, that we were going to be going through this book, which was suggested by somebody here, and thank you for that, I love this book. The world was in a different place than it is now. And by that I mean there wasn't a war going on in Israel. And there's something about wars that go on in Israel that they really, they really get that part of us flowing, don't they? They always get that point where we're looking and the world is going to end any time now and how can you not see the signs? And you throw that in immediately following a pandemic and other wars that are going on and there's going to be a volcano eruption in Iceland, I think this week. And boy, oh boy, does that ever bring out that part of us that just really only looks for how God is going to come back any moment now. We don't know when God is going to come back. We know he will. We know that when he does, he will surely be victorious. He is God. But there's something that I do know and is that the more that that kind of talk ends up taking over us, as it has been as of late, the easier it becomes to do exactly, exactly like what the Israelites were doing during the time of Jonah. To see the people that don't think like us as enemies. To see the world that is going on around us as Nothing but a write-off, after all. There's so many terrible things going on. The more that we keep our minds glued on the end of days, 
the easier it is to dismiss the fact that people are dying left, right, and center. There are still poor among us. There are still those that are hungry among us. There is still a world of people that don't know the love of our God for them. There is still a world that is in pain. And say that, can't you see that God is coming back any moment now? So what does the suffering of today matter? Because we have the future to look forward to. Jonah 3 reminds us that that's exactly the wrong way that we to be looking at things. Even the worst enemies of God can become his followers. We're not called to just look to the future and keep our eyes there. Not when there are so many things to be doing around us. Not when there is an entire kingdom of heaven to be built as Christ leads us to. Not when there is so many that need to hear the gospel message still. Is the Lord coming back? We can pray hasten the day but it's possible to become so focused on that that we completely neglect the fact that there is so much to be done now. The light at the end of all things shines brightly for us. These days, things often seem rather dark. What we are supposed to do isn't just to focus on the light at the end of all things, fixated so that we can see nothing else like a moth to a flame. It's to get out there and make the world that we live in now a little bit brighter every way that we can. That is what we are called to. When we build the kingdom of our Lord that sees the poor given something in this world. When we build the kingdom of our Lord that sees those that are hungry fed, when we build the kingdom of our Lord that sees those who are mourning comforted, those that are righteous, not persecuted for who they are, those that are meek, not beaten down because the world is not kind. We are called to be for these people, to build the kingdom that needs building right about now. We are called to spread the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and who that if we believe he is the Son of God and follow him, we can know this great love as well. We can know salvation as well. We are called to make the world now a little bit brighter. Not to only focus on what is at the end and forget everything around us today. It's possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. Jonah 3 reminds us that that is an idol just like anything else. It's the idol in 
a lot of ways that Jonah himself follows, that the people that this book is for followed. And as we see those that are the worst of the enemies of God come to repent and follow him, we know that that is not an idol to follow because it leads us to go in a direction that our Lord doesn't want us to go. And so, I ask you this. Do you see people around us as the enemies of God? Or do you see them as those that need the good news? Jonah 3 tells us very clearly that it's the second. That is what is important. There are so many things that we are to do right now, so many people that need to hear that good news. And all too often, we don't even think to do it because we just write people off as against us. God doesn't, and we shouldn't either. And so, what are you going to do this week to show God's kingdom and his love to everyone? And now, we go on to communion. I'd like to ask Gordon Christine to come up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read, for I received from the Lord what I passed, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. At McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. Although if you have young ones with you, parents, I'm going to leave it up to you if they are in a place to appreciate what is going on. In communion, we are joined with our Lord, just as we are joined with all the other believers from today across the world and going back in a direct line to the Lord's Supper itself. In communion, we are joining in with something that is much bigger than ourselves because we are joining in with the rest of the church. And so as we take it, we do so in the gravity of what that is and what that means. And so as the elements are passed out, I would ask that you come before the Lord in prayer. Put before him everything that is causing you to be at odds with the rest of the church, at odds with your brother. And then after communion is done and after we have gone home after a wonderful meal, go and make that thing right as well. And so... As it is handed out, please bow with me now in prayer.
and together we eat. Together we drink. And together, I'd ask if you'd join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As we can all smell, the potluck is going to be in immediately after the service. I invite you all to stay. It's going to be a wonderful time of fellowship, and I look forward to saying hi. Also, I don't think I've ever actually pointed this out. You've probably seen these on the back. Uh, this is a pamphlet that is a short rundown of all of the different ministries going on in the church. Uh, if you ever have anybody that is interested about what's going on in the church, why not give them a pamphlet? It was uh, put together by uh, Amber, and she did a wonderful job. And so I've said thanks before. I'll say thanks again. For our benediction, we turn to the book of Galatians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, amen. Go now and serve our wonderful God. Mm -mm.